Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. I'm Denise, and this is a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. Episode 104 is a nice, easy way to kick off the brand new year. It's 2022, and joining me today is my friend Sarah Kershaw, mom of three daughters, and she's also a high school teacher in the Quad Cities area. And so when I got together to talk with her, it was right at the start of her Christmas break. So I wanted to check the temperature, check the pulse on how teachers are feeling. So as you get ready to send your kids back to school, maybe they're already back, you can get a little insight into the mind of a teacher at this stage of the year, especially after the two years that we've had. So Happy New Year, everybody. I don't specifically have any New Year's resolutions other than I want to eat more salad. And I realize that sounds kind of really boring, but I don't think I eat enough fresh foods. So I'm not going to like go on a diet or count calories, but I am going to try to inject more fresh foods into the things that I'm eating every day. So that's kind of my loose, can't really fail at that New Year's resolution plan. If you've got a great resolution you want to share, send me a message over on our Instagram page. It's at on a mother level. Happy to see more followers finding that page as we ramp up a brand new year of the podcast. Hoping that you will share this episode with a friend and look for more great content that is coming on later this month. So I'd like to begin by introducing my guest, Sarah Kershaw, and she just gives us right off the top here a reminder of a little bit about her, a little bit about her daughters and what they're up to. I have three daughters. I have Evelyn, who's 11. She's going to be 12 um, in a couple of months, and she this is her first year of middle school. So I have my first kid in middle school, so that's a whole new adventure. Um, And then my middle child is Izzy and she just turned nine um, and she's in third grade. And then my youngest Harper, this is her first year of kindergarten. So I kind of have kids in all different stages right now. It's an interesting time for sure in our house. All three are Girl Scouts now. Yes. 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 And they're all very excited. They all, they, they, 
they eat up all the opportunities they can with Girl Scouts for sure. I was a Girl Scout too, so it's kind of fun to pass on the legacy and go with them to camps in the same camp I went to and things like that. That's very cool. How is the program the same or different from when you were a kid? Like, does it remind you a ton of how it used to be or? It's really different, but I think in like all of the best ways possible. Um, there's st- some things that are still the same, like camp is very much, they've, they've kept a lot of the traditions that are fun. Like, um, you know, when you're eating lunch, you have to eat, you have to have brownie bites of everything. Um, everyone has to clean up the table in like the exact same way where you put all the forks in one cup, you know, like there's little weird things like that that are all the same, but they've really done such a good do- job of adapting with the times and trying to kind of come up with stuff that's for all different types of girls and not just girls that love to camp, but there's, you know, my oldest is really into science and there's so many STEM opportunities. Um, they have whole branches of badges that are STEM. Um, this year they've teamed with this lady um, somewhere on the East coast that does zoom meetings where you have a zoom meeting and it's like 45 minutes and they earn a STEM badge just like participating with that. So there's just a lot of opportunity, you know, and there's like girly stuff for kids that are girly. There's, there's camp where you can bring your American girl doll, you know? So it's kind of cool that way. I love that variety. That's so interesting because yeah, when I was a Girl Scout, it was like, it was, it was great exposure for girls, but it was a little single tracked. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, there's something for every kind of kid now. And that's really cool. That is very cool. And so you on the professional front, this is your first day of Christmas break. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Did it come at just the right time for you? (laughs) Yes, for sure. I've been counting down the day for sure. I definitely needed a reset recharge situation for sure. So tell me about this first semester. Was this really the first normal semester or not quite still? It's, it's normal. It's, it's normal in some ways and it's still not in others. I think our school's lucky and it's a lot more normal for us than it is in a lot of other places. Um, I'm the yearbook teacher and we've been working on a yearbook theme and the yearbook theme is supposed to be something that encapsulates the whole year. And the kids were all very much on this idea of, they were like, okay, but it can't be about how like, there's no normal and the new normal, like they're just over it. And they're like, everything's fine now. Is I remember one of the girls was like, everything's fine. We have to wear masks, but like, that's it. We're playing sports. We're going to school. Like everything's fine. Like, I just want to move on. And so like, that, that's kind of where the kids are. Like, they're just kind of like, it is what it is they're not thinking about it all day long. And so I'm kind of trying to do the same, you know, we're, we're, we have increased safety precautions and things like that, but we're just kind of not letting it get in the way of trying to be as normal as possible, I guess. Okay. I see everywhere that teachers are burned out. They're just done. So checking the temperature of your colleagues. Do you feel like that's true (laughs) out, you know, outside of how you normally feel, you know, when you're approaching a holiday break? Yeah. I mean, the truth is the teacher burnout has been an issue way before COVID was happening. I would say my colleagues that are feeling burned out were feeling burned out before. Um, and now it's just kind of exacerbated a little bit. Um, you know, school's changing so much and we're teaching more and more and the, and the expectations that the world's setting up 
are changing so much that we're constantly changing our curriculum. We're adding new things in. And there's just the traditional school day doesn't really account for how much we need to change our curriculum. It's just, it's, it's not having the time to do our jobs as well as we know we could if we had more, more time. You know, I have 45 minutes where I'm not teaching. And so it's like, if you know, if you think of it as I have 45 minutes to prepare three different one hour presentations for tomorrow, you know, that in and of itself is like, that's just not a lot of time. And then on top of grading and all of that. And so it's like, I, I feel like the burnout, a lot of people are frustrated because they feel like teachers are saying they're burned out and it's not fair because everyone's burned out. But I think the problem's just so much deeper than that because we've been saying we're burned out for a long time and, and no one was really listening. But now that things are kind of changing and teachers are really starting to say like, okay, this is too much. People are kind of blaming it on COVID. COVID certainly didn't help anything, but the teacher burnout has been a serious problem for way longer than two years. That's an interesting concept. You've been saying it for a while and yet no one really heard you until now. Yeah, because teachers, teachers are just like, we're, we're, we do it because we love it. And so in a way, I think that's been exploited just a little bit because it's like, you put up with some of the more frustrating parts about your job because you love it so much. But I think for a lot of people, COVID became like the final straw where the joy that they had that was worth it started to kind of go away. And then it's like, there's no joy left in this job. I can do other things and make the same amount of money. And so I think that's why so many people have left. Um, it's not that it was a new problem. It's just that, that the old problem just kind of got a little bit bigger and it was people that were already on the edge. It was just too much. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be a two-part question. How are, how are students contributing to teacher burnout? In my, I think I'm really lucky because I, you know, I'm in a lot of teacher groups and I have a lot of teacher friends. And so I hear stories about things that happen in other classrooms that I just don't see in my classroom, you know, but I think the way that things have changed at least a little bit um, because of COVID that I've noticed is kids aren't used, they haven't been able to really bounce back from um, the open deadline concept of COVID. And so kids seem to be just operating on their own clocks and they have no concept of like deadlines and like that was due and you just, you know, didn't even say anything. And now you're turning something in two months late. And like that, again, that's always been an issue, but, but it was always an issue with like 10% of your students, but now it's like 70% of your students are kind of just operating on this, like, oh, I'll do it later. And so like, that's really, I think, contributing to it. But um, that's really the only thing that I'm seeing kind of lingering from our remote days, I guess. Okay. So the second part of the question was, and I, I wonder if it's a greater impact, how are parents impacting teacher burnout? <laughs> I would say parents, a lot of times they, they have, what do I want to say? They, they have different expectations for how they want a teacher to handle their kid versus how they handle their kids. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like parents want teachers to be uh, stricter with their own children than they are. Uh, you know, like 
they'll they'll be mad that they have their phone on them and it's like well do you ever take their phone away you know and uh, just things like that like I think there's just some high expectations that teachers um, need to be more accommodating um, sometimes there's problems with parents who want their kids to have any opportunities to change their grade if they aren't happy with their grade. And again, if I had more time in my day where I could revisit something I've already graded and let someone just keep revising until they get the grade they want, that would be great. That's a great learning process, but it's just like, it's hard to help have parents realize that we have 120 students and it's really hard sometimes to micromanage every student. Um, but I mean, I do the best I can. Um, I hounded every single student that I had this year. This was the first time that every student I have, um, passed this semester because we just have so many support staff in our building that are following them around and, and yelling at them and being their mom as much as we can, um, to get their work in. So we're just trying to adapt to, you know, what they need. So you work with high school students. What have you noticed about how this age group relates to one another and interacts with one another post COVID? Have you noticed social changes in them? I haven't really. Um, I think at first I noticed, um, right when we, when we, uh, when we were hybrid and we were going every other day, I noticed that they were more reluctant to talk. I don't know if it was because of masks or they were just disengaged in general, Um, But I would say this year, it's really back to normal in terms of how they're interacting with one another. Um, I don't think there's there's really any residual effects that I'm noticing. Okay, you know, so much was made about, you know, the impact of isolation on high school age kids and, you know, worries about mental health and suicide rates and things like that. Has has any of that stood out to you? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, kids. either loved or hated it. You know, there's some kids that, you know, we've, we've been talking, um, I spent a lot of this week just kind of chatting with my students here at the end of the semester. And like some kids were like, you know, that was really me and my best self. Like they loved being home and setting their own schedule and going through their classes at their own pace. One girl was like, I really miss just being able to get up and pee whenever I wanted to pee, you know? So like some kids really loved it. And other kids, it just was not good for their own mental health. They're much more social creatures and they just cannot stay motivated or focused when they're all by themselves. So I think it just comes down to different personality types. Some kids are just more wired to work independently than, than others. Yeah. It's not all that different than adults with working from home. You know, half of us really loved it. Half of us really didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So we just came off of this, this well-publicized TikTok national school shooting day. And I'm not on TikTok. The idea of being on TikTok, it annoys me and stresses me out. And my kids are not old enough to be on TikTok. So, I mean, from what I gathered of this situation is that it's something that, you know, caught fire and, some people claim they never even saw it. You know, some people said they saw it all over the place, but it, but it led to this, you know, a large amount of fear for a lot of parents and, um, um, you know, over like in the quad city school districts, for example, all of the superintendents released a giant statement, you know, um, of, you know, unified, you know, we're aware of the situation and we're keeping track of the trends and we're talking to law enforcement, blah, blah. 
I, because I don't have kids in that age group, sometimes I, you know, it's like, I don't want to speculate about how parents of that age group really feel, but like, I don't know, what were your initial thoughts on, on hearing that this day was circulating and what was the chatter? It was talked about a little bit by the students, but I mean, unfortunately through my entire teaching career, there have been threats of school shootings, you know, that are some more credible than others. And it's just kind of a, a scary reality that as a teacher, I've always had to deal with. Um, I remember after the Sandy Hook shooting, I mean, I guess I should preface this by saying I was on campus for a school shooting um, when I was a student in college. Um, I wasn't in the classroom that the shooting took place in, but I was on campus just um, a little ways away. And um, I was never in danger, but I didn't know at the time. Um, I went into a building and people, the, the light, the um, emergency lights were flashing and people were running around crazy. And I stopped someone and said, what's going on? And they said, oh, there's a bunch of people running around shooting people on campus. You know how like no one has the facts right at all. Right. So, I mean, at that point, you're, you don't know what's going on, even though I look back now and I know I was safe. Like, I think there's still a little bit of trauma for me from that whole experience. And so I think that also comes into play. So I, I just wanted to, to preface that. But I mean, it has a real effect on me after the, the Sandy Hook shooting. It took me a really long time to feel normal again throughout my day. Um, there's times where <clears throat> when it's in the news and it seems like as soon as there's a shooting, there's a cluster of shootings, um, you know, all around it. I don't know if it's a copycat situation or if it just gets reported more or what the situation is, but yeah. it takes me a really long time to stop having it on the forefront of my mind. You know, I will, I will like, I'll be going to the bathroom and be like, okay, so where would I go if somebody came in a gun with a gun right now? Or I'll be in the hallway and I'll be like, where would I go right now? And like, um, sometimes when it's in the news a lot, like it's all I'm thinking about all day, because the reality is we have students with all sorts of issues going on. We have, we have depressed students. We have unhappy students. We have bullied students, just like every school. And you just never know. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's always been um, a source of stress. So with this particular TikTok one, I wasn't all that concerned because it was the national thing. And I didn't feel like it was a really localized threat. None of the kids seemed all that shooken up about it because it's a reality that's been there their entire lives too. Um, you know, Columbine was 1996, I think, or 98. So that's like almost a decade before these kids were even born. So it's like, they, they really didn't seem at all upset. There were kids that stayed home, but it was also the last day before uh, break. So it was like, oh, this was just the excuse I needed to just not come to the last day of school. So it's, you know, it's depressing to say, but it didn't really change most of our days because it's something we just always deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I saw some chatter, you know, on Facebook where parents are like, what do we think? You know, trying to take the temperature of everyone around them. Like, what do we think? Is this a real thing? And, you know, for, for me, from my standpoint of sitting in a newsroom, long, long time ago at my very first job was the first time I heard of this policy of like, we don't, we don't talk about bomb threats because most likely it's just a hoax and it just provides the attention that someone needed to, you know, spur the next hoax or whatever. So, so it's like your mind first goes there where you're like, the more energy that you give this thing is sort of exactly what 
whoever, wherever this sort of thing came from, it sort of like produced the exact results that they wanted. And, you know, the speculation is that it was probably wasn't even kids. It was probably adults. You know, it's not even kids who are sharing this on TikTok anyway. Um, You know, so that's your first thought. And then your second thought is, but what if? You know, but what if, I mean, we just had the situation in Michigan where, you know, if, if all of these things are borne out in court, you have a parent, couple of parents who were warned that something was really off and they still did nothing. And that same day, the student went out and did it, you know? So it's like, you have these two conflicting thoughts in your head as a parent where you're like, you don't, you don't ever want to play games with it, but you also don't want to, I don't know, continue to feed um, a society that sometimes loves to panic. Yeah. Yeah. And if you knew of every threat that ever came through, you would never be able to get out of the house. You know, you would never be able to let your kids go anywhere because It's true. You never know when it's going to be real and when it's not. And that's why it tends to to linger with me until I have to just like, I have to say like, it is what it is. That threat is there. And I just have to like find a way to be at peace with it, you know, because it can drive you crazy for sure. It's tough to hear that, you know, you kind of think about your exit plans. You know what I mean? When you're You know, and sometimes it's like, I think we all do that more than we realize, you know, when you're at the concert and you're like, okay, just, just, just double checking, you know, and you just do the double take look around. I think we all kind of do that a little bit, but, but yeah, that's sad to hear that you do that in your place of work. You know, there was another like debate related to the TikTok thing where it was like, oh, you know, these parents will take their kids out of school, but they won't take their kids off the TikTok. (laughs) And then that, you know, spurred some interesting conversation. So, yeah, that's hard as a parent. You know, that's my, my oldest is 11 and, you know, she's right at that age where she does have a phone. We got her a phone at the beginning of the year. Okay. It's that, you know, how much do we let her be on it? How much do we let her, you know, which apps do we let her get? She doesn't have social media or anything like that yet, but I know, I know all of those decisions are on the horizon and, um, yeah, it makes me kind of want to throw up a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to deal with any of it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Godspeed in um, making those decisions because I don't think they ever get any easier. Okay. So I am going to throw a quick sex in the city topic at you. Okay. So you have not started watching the new episodes, correct? Correct. Okay. So in the new episodes, and this is not really a spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't listened. I promise we won't get into the nitty gritty, but one of the little tiny storylines they're exploring is we have Miranda married to Steve. Okay. And Brady is now 17. So this is, you know, Miranda had Brady And, um, you know, eventually married Steve later on in the series. But so now we see a teenage Brady and um, Miranda discusses how they let his girlfriend, Louisa, sleep over regularly. And like. And it's 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 just so weird, Sarah, they're like, like banging it out constantly, like there's there's moments in the series where like Miranda's like, I can hear the wall shaking again. This is ridiculous. And then cut to some like really cringy scenes of like teenage Brady and his girlfriend in the basement. And you're like, oh my God, like, no. First of all, 
I mean, just so many things to say about, about the new episodes, but number one, like this is not something Miranda would have ever allowed. Like, I think that this is, this is out of character for, for Miranda. She was like the, the really practical kind of conservative one of them. I mean, like Charlotte was obviously the typecast of the conservative one, but like, that seems like a more of a Samantha move than, than a Miranda move. It's really gross because I mean, there's, there's a scene where they're at um, Lily's piano recital and like him and the girlfriend are like sitting in the Manhattan school of music, like making out. And Miranda's like, you know, stop making out Brady. And he's like, mom, don't sex shame me. God. (laughs) Oh my God. I hate that there, that, that means he has seven, it's been 17 years. Like that time, that whole time track, I'm not comfortable with. I just want to. <laughs> so, I mean, is this really what's happening? Are high school kids like allowed to, to sleep over at each other's houses? No, no, this is not happening. No. It's so funny because we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the teacher's lounge at lunch. We were talking about how different it is than when we were in high school. Like I remember being in high school and people were like making out between classes. Like I distinctly remember there was a couple that I had to like move over all the time to get into my locker. And that just like does not happen in our school. Like there, there are a couple of couples that show PDA, but their PDA is like holding hands down the hall. Like there's no making out. There's no, like there, it's so strange how different it is now so like I don't know if they have a whole new world outside of school that like there's no indication of while they're at school but I don't think that's happening very much no well that's interesting because yes we had makeout couples at my high school too so I'm surprised that it's not like worse now it's actually like better yeah yeah for sure like there is no and I feel like it's more it's not even the teachers like they don't want to be like shamed by the people around them like that's not cool anymore no Hmm. now the other like parenting topic that comes up is you have um again not a spoiler you have um charlotte getting very upset because she buys like oscar de la renta gowns for both her daughters and one daughter will not wear the Oscar de la Renta gown and why should she have to? And that's not her jam. And, you know, well, my can't she just wear it for mommy? It's for your sisters, for her recital, you know, blah, blah, blah. So having three girls, are you starting to have outfit battles yet? They are three very distinct dressers for sure. My oldest, it does not like anything frilly, anything girly. She like, she strives to wear at the softest outfit she can find. That's her style, soft and like snarky science t-shirts is pretty much all she wears. She w- will never ever paint her fingernails or do her hair. It's a battle just to get her to brush her hair before she leaves the house. Um, the middle kid just wears the first two things she can find because she wants to get dressed as quickly as possible. And the youngest one is also very picky about textures. Um, she doesn't like, the, the middle child went through a phase where she wore lots of glitter, but she won't wear any of her older sister's glitter hand-me-downs because they're too scratchy. 
So yeah, so that's a whole, a whole thing, but like, no, it hasn't ever, none of the girls are like super picky about brands. I don't think they even are aware of of brands yet, but, uh, I feel like the middle child will be eventually a little bit of a brand snob. We'll see, but so far we're in the clear. So I have a brand snobby toddler. Um, and I don't even really know if it's brand specific, but my Abram, he's my five-year-old. He, (laughs) he prefers to wear Adidas clothing (laughs) and I don't know why. I think he just like realized that we had three or four of the same type of shirt. And so, you know, he developed an affinity for those. And a lot of them are hand-me-downs from my friend, but so he loves these Adidas outfits and he calls them his cafe clothes. Okay. <laughs> um, where's my cafe shirt? Like what? Cafe. He calls it cafe because there's A's in it, mom. There's A's in the word. It's a cafe. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll follow. I'll follow him. <laughs> so yeah, now it's just cafe. And so now Everett thinks that there are clothing articles that are called cafe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's legit. (laughs) So I don't know if you can read into that as an English teacher about why a child would be attracted to the letter A in Adidas and call it cafe. It all makes sense, you know, (laughs) I follow. I don't know. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to me, but, but I mean, it's now part of the vernacular, you know, at some point you just stop questioning it and move on. Like, let's put on a cafe outfit. Let's, let's head. Um, you're going to call it a cafe shirt for like two years longer than him. And it's going to really piss him off. Be like, yeah, I get it. I was five. Like, leave me alone. And you'll be like, oh, but it was so cute. And you'll hold on to it. And um, I'll be disappointed if you don't. Oh, you know what? I think you're hundred percent right. I think that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. he's going to get very, very mad at me. Okay. So the reason that I reached out to you, um, to have you back on the podcast is because I saw that you and the girls were watching the Adele special. And I talked about the Adele special a little bit on on a couple episodes earlier. Um, you have a Harper Adele in your house. So, um, so yeah, you guys sat down and watched it together. Talk to me about it. Yeah, so we watched the 2016 when it came out with um, her last album. And that was where like we were really struggling because we'd only ever heard Harper Lee and we didn't want Harper Lee for her middle name and we could not lean on a middle name. And then we were watching it and we were both like, oh my God, I just love her. Like at the same time, we're like, could we really name her after Adele? Like, are we really going to be those people? But then once we said Harper Adele, we liked it more than anything else. So then it was like, Harper had to watch it because she was like, this is my namesake. This is my person. Um, but yeah, so we watched it all together. The, the two younger ones had to go to bed um, halfway through, but the oldest one stayed up because she was like, I'm not missing Rolling in the Deep. So we all, we, we stayed up. And so, yeah, it was really fun to watch with all of them. And, you know, it's fun to just watch them see someone that I think is a really positive role model, um, you know, just being really open and honest and owning everything in the interview questions, I thought was really interesting. You know, she's talking about something that, you know, we're lucky enough that my kids haven't gone through, you know, in terms of um, her guilt surrounding her divorce and things like that. But I think just um, hearing her talk about it and talk about how, yeah, I was in a dark place 
and just kind of owning it, I think is really important for girls to see that it's okay to have all these big feelings and to just own them and talk about them. So it was really nice to watch her watching it and to just see the wheels spinning and to see them, you know, kind of taking in what she's saying. So I just adore her. Yeah. Do you think that, um, that those concepts like stuck for your daughters? Do you think a little bit was over their heads or what do you think really sunk in for them? I think they just, the, the younger two were just there for the concert. Um, you know, I think they were like going to the bathroom during the interview, but I think the oldest one has always kind of been a little bit of an old soul. And I think she was really taking in what, what Adele was talking about. And, uh, you know, she's just always kind of latched on to strong, positive female role models. Girl has a Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, calendar hanging in her her bedroom. She named her dog Stella Gator, Bader Ginsburg. Um, and she's just always gravitated toward real life role models. Um, she's read a lot of biographies from people, uh, Malala and a lot of people. And she just really responds a lot to that. So I think it was just another person for her to add into her bank of role models for sure. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think even like as an adult, when you watch someone like Adele, you're like, how can anyone this rich and this famous have the same problems that I do or the same like pain over, you know, even if it's not the same problem, like the same pain that I do or the same, you know, crappy days that I do. So no, I think, I think that's, that's such a good message for kids. And, you know, as we're sitting here talking about this, I'm realizing that maybe there's a, uh, I think there's a problem with, you know, I'm the parent of two boys and I can't name a single time that I have put them in front of the TV to, or put them in front of any kind of media of any kind to like, say like, this is a strong person. This is a role model. This is a whatever. Like, I don't think I've ever actually put any thought to that. Whereas there's almost pressure to do that with girls feels more urgent with, with my oldest, it all really started during the um, Clinton-Trump campaign. Um, again, she was, she was always just kind of an old soul, and she really got into watching the news, even when she was seven. And she would be paying attention, and she, I, I really saw in those moments where she was really paying attention how how she was taking in a lot of this stuff, and she started asking me a lot of questions like, why is he saying these things? You know, why is she saying these things? And it really started the conversation and it made, made me realize how important it is for her to see that there are lots of different kinds of women in the world that like, you know, there's this option, there's this option, there's, you know, I wanted them to see that there's a lot of different ways to be a girl and that there's not one right way that girls are supposed to act. Um, and, you know, I want to say that it was like me just being a really good parent, but I think it was just following the lead of my daughter and realizing that this was something she was really interested in and just getting her books and getting her thing, you know, so that she could read more and kind of follow her passions. Um, now, the younger two couldn't care less, you know, about things like that, but maybe they will as time goes on. But it's just always been something that her curiosity has always kind of led the way for that. That's interesting because I, um, this is just coming off of the top of my head, but sometimes I wonder if we, um, if we spend so much time talking to girls about 
all the things they can be. And this is a strong woman and this is an accomplished woman and whatever. Are we stigmatizing the idea of any woman who wants to grow up and be a stay at home mom and be a caregiver and be a homemaker and raise a family? Are we ever telling young girls that that's no longer good enough? Yeah. It's like, we're, we're doing, we're pushing so far in one direction and then what's left. I I also, I wonder that with boys too, and I don't have any sons, but I think like there's so much push for like girls in science and girls in math. And it's like, okay, so where's the push for like boys in the arts and boy, you know, like, I feel like we haven't, we haven't flipped the lid where it's like, now you really, we're trying so hard in one direction that we're, we're pulling too far. I would agree that there's plenty of girls out there that don't like math and science. And, um, it's equally, there's potential in both ways to kind of give them the wrong message that this is what, how you have to be, you know, and the same thing with, with boys. I wish there was, there was more in the media about boys being able to be whatever they want to be as well. I've been thinking about it because, um, I was looking the other day, both of my boys really like pretend play with, you know, like people. And, um, we were just playing with, uh, I brought out, like, I have a really nice nativity scene. And so we brought out all of, you know, all of the figures in the set and everything. And, um, you know, naturally it leads to like, you know, the wise men are part of some sort of special ops, you know, like command force and, you know, like stuff like that, but there's really no, um, and I, and I looked for it, like, Where's the like dollhouse that's marketed more to boys? And I like, I Googled like boy dollhouse, not because like, and it's like, I wasn't looking for like something girly, but I'm like, they really like pretend play and maybe pretend play doesn't have to always be like these two people fighting or these two, you know, but that's really the only like group settings that boys often see. And so I ended up getting like a, um, like, it's like this big treehouse thing that these little animals can all live in. And I'm like, okay, like, I think that's the best that we're going to be able to do, but yeah, there's nothing that's just like, Hey boys, you can simulate family structure and you can simulate the way everyone all gets along together. And they don't have to be like, I don't know, storming the manger. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing I just saw. One of my friends was talking about she has a son and that like she wished there was more like cooking and pretend kitchen stuff for boys because it's like boys are chefs, you know, but it's all, you know, a pink counter and like flower. It's just like completely unnecessary. Like it could just be a kitchen set, you know, and like it's like there's both sides where it's like, couldn't we just, you know, be cool with every kid being what, you know, yeah. It's definitely, there's definitely struggles on both sides for sure. But I feel like, like I said, I I think we have a lot of catching up to do with boys. I think we've kind of left them in the dirt and now it's like, okay, so it's, you know, you hear all this about like toxic masculinity. So it's like, okay, so what are we doing to what, you know, to tell boys what they should be? Because there's not a lot out there still for them um, in terms of how to, how to be the right kind of masculine, I guess. Um, it's a kind of mixed message where they're, they aren't, they still aren't given as much permission. I don't think to be whatever they want to be. Right. As right. Well, and then they grow up and they have, you know, women and young women telling them who, you know, who they expect them to be, you know, I want a partner who's like this. And we haven't really taught our, our boys that. 
Yeah, I feel like our husbands are maybe the first generation to be super involved parents. And there's no, there's no role model for them. You know, there was no one growing up, you know, not to say that they had bad fathers, but fathers, our fathers weren't as involved as fathers are now. And now that, you know, mothers are working more and more and, and parenting is becoming more and more of a 50-50 split. It's like, you're just kind of making it up as you go along. And the, and the boys are just kind of left, thankfully, then they have their dads to look up to, but it's, there's just not a lot else out there for them right now. Yeah. You're hitting, yeah. You're hitting on something really huge because potentially when our kids grow up and get married, they will be probably one of the first generations that really has grown up under a more 50, 50 split family. Of course, there's, there's been families here and there along the way, but like, really, when I look at like my friends and, um, a lot of people our age, like, yeah, that they might be the, really the first ones doing this, which is kind of cool. Yeah. That like dads are there. Dads are running the soccer mom van just as much as girls are. And, um, yeah. So I hope that it, it, I, I, I think it'll only lead to positive things where hopefully your sons and my daughters will have better, uh, a better roadmap to follow because they won't just kind of be making it up as they go along. They'll have their parents um, to lead by example, I guess. No, I like talking about like gender, gender topics with you because it is so interesting to have just so much boy energy in the house and, and, you know, it's just different in yours. Yeah. I, I literally, not imagine being in your shoes. Like I, I have no idea what it would be like to raise sons. Like we, we just, even our dog and our two cats are females. Like it's just, it is a female house for sure. Well, God bless Travis. He is the best girl dad that ever was. (laughs) He loves being a girl dad too. So that helps. That's awesome. You have been listening to the WQAD podcast network.